You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And I'm here today in our Spotlight segment with a very exciting guest. We have as our guest Monica Modi, who's the Vice President of Marketing for Budweiser. Hello, Monica. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. Well, Budweiser, marketing at Budweiser, that's got to be a really exciting job. So, I mean, one that people, anybody wants to go into marketing, I think being vice president of marketing at Budweiser might be one of their aspirations. So tell us first how you got there. Yeah, it's, it's a dream come true of mine. Yeah, my story's, my story's a bit unique, but I'm sure most people say that. Um, but really where I started off was I was in the music industry before. So I, I went to NYU undergrad, majored in business. Um, but I was like, not ready to interview yet for a full-time job. I I was a big lover of music. So I I was like, you know what? I I need to just up, I need to try music. So I I recorded a demo, uploaded it to MySpace. That was at the time when MySpace was like the big social network. Uh, I remember way back. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and lo and behold, I had a record deal. So instead of taking a nine to five job, I, I had a record deal um, and so I, I had a, a nice little stint in the music industry as a recording artist for about oh, a, wow. good, a good five years. Well, um, your whole life is fairy tales then. <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. And, um, and then I started producing and writing for other artists. So in that time, I, I wrote for Jennifer Lopez, Pitbull, and oh. some other artists as well. Um, and then I hit, uh, I would want to say like 27. And I was like, I don't have a Grammy yet. I don't know what is going to happen. You know, it was such a roller coaster to be in the music industry. So I just, I sort of reflected and I said, I love, what I didn't realize was that the music business was like 98% business and branding and really 2% performing. Um, So I, I personally was tired of being the brand, but I loved the team that I had together, the whole grassroots marketing, and most importantly, connecting with so many people um, with one single asset, which was my song or something that I wrote. So I decided to go back to business school, um, got my MBA, did a little like internship at Nike, fell in love with um, brand marketing. I thought for sure I was going to go to Nike because that's like when you think of marketing, that's that, you know, that's that's, Nike, Budweiser, those are the examples I use in my class. It <laughs> doesn't get bigger than that. And then I serendipitously like walked in on a lunch and learn um, where someone was like, hey, there's free lunch. Come in. It's Anheuser-Busch. I was like, what's Anheuser-Busch? They're like, oh, beer, like Budweiser. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of Budweiser when it came to marketing. And how could I have not? I love the Super Bowl commercials. And, you know, from there, I'm coming on eight years at Anheuser-Busch and um, seven of those years I've worked on Budweiser and I've done many Super Bowl campaigns and other campaigns that I'm super proud of. Um, but it, it feels very exciting to work on a brand where I not only believe in the product, but I love the fact that the brand has such scale and importance in American DNA that I can use the power of its bigness and its connection with many generations of people to actually do something Before we get to that, given you have such a long, first of all, are you located in St. Louis then? I'm not. I'm I'm in New York City. And you always have been the whole time? I have, yeah. So I started off in global. 
in the global headquarters, which were in New York City. And then at that time, about, I want to say four or five years ago, they made the decision to move the St. Louis office, the, the marketing department to New York City. Oh, so that's when I then moved over to the U.S. business, stayed right in New York City, just a few streets away. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the history of Bud, just because it is interesting. I mean, there's a tooth. I I do actually use Bud commercials a lot in my classes, um, and I use it to make two different points. One point is that Bud has been really good at moving from generation to generation and staying popular. And that's actually a very difficult thing to do in categories where brand is so important. And in beer, brand is very important. Um, like a lot of times you'll look at not my father's Oldsmobile or you look at fashion brands where young girls don't want to wear their mother's fashion, you know, not my mother's jeans, not my father's Oldsmobile. So it's difficult many times to keep a brand hot and top of mind from generation to generation. But I think Budweiser has done an amazingly good job on that. How did you solve that, that problem that's a difficult thing yeah I mean you know the the thing is you know any heritage brand has to face this reality um and each heritage brand has different generations that have a very different connection to the brand um if you look at our loyalists or you know people who are 45 plus they love Budweiser because they think it is the best tasting beer there is they believe in it for the beer because at the time when Budweiser, you know, was prominent in their lives, it was like a market leader. There, it was one in two beers was a Budweiser, and it was for good reason. And as as you know, products proliferate, tastes change. Then the next generation, it was I like Budweiser for this amazing marketing and the beer, but maybe not as much as the generation before. And then the generation now is I just love Budweiser the brand because it's this awesome like vintage T-shirt I can wear. And by the way, I haven't even touched, I haven't even tried the beer. So I have these very, like varying realities, all powerful with the brand. And I think the best thing you can do is to not operate like a one size fits all. Uh, So we do look at each generation and make sure that we're meeting their needs, um, but doing it in an authentic way. So the biggest thing is truly understanding what's powerful and meaningful about your brand and understanding what you should flex for the varying, varying consumer. Um, so that's, that's sort of how we've, we've really evolved since I've been leading the brand in the last six years is it's no longer a one size fits all campaign. It is, we have three generations and we, um, some generation, like the eldest generation, we don't need to introduce the beer. Uh, we need to let them know that, you know, our Clydesdales or our, you know, Super Bowl spots that we're, we're still operating the same way. Whereas like with the younger generation, we need to give them a reason to try us. Because when they try us, we know they like us. And we already know they like our t-shirts. Um, so, you know, again, it's not a one, I, I, it's not a one size fits all situation. That really explains it. That, that you know, it, that seems like, duh, you should know that. You know, one of the principles of marketing is segmentation and targeting. And you should definitely do it with branding targeting. But a lot of times people try to be one brand for everything, a global brand. And when you're going across generations, many times it doesn't work. So that's interesting. The other thing you were saying is the brand has to mean something. So the other big lesson I use the brand for is in my classes is, um, you know, to value up what's the underlying value. 
And I teach them, I don't know if you've ever heard of the ZMET um, approach, which is a metaphor elicitation approach. And they talk about some of the very, very basic values. And if you can really get a brand to mean one of the seven basic values, it'll resonate at a very deep level. And what I say, and I'm curious to know if you agree, that one of the seven deep, deep metaphors is connection. And that I think a lot of the Budweiser marketing is about that basic connection, whether you're talking about the horses and the dogs connecting or, you know, or you're talking about what's up and you did a really interesting what's up ad right at the beginning of Zoom with the same guys or some guys coming back and Zooming on what's up. Um, But all of it, it seems to me that there's this underlying message of connection, which is a really, really deep, deep metaphor that does go across everybody. What do you think about that analysis? Yeah, no, I mean, you're spot on. I would even take it a level deeper. There's like two types of connection. I think there is, um, you know, making sure that your values, as you mentioned, are apparent in your creative. And I think that's, you you always want to attract a consumer that shares your values. So we really make sure that in everything we do, we share our values. Then there's the connection from the sort of emotional standpoint. It needs to evoke some sort of emotion, whether it's make you cry, make you laugh. And for us, those are two of the most critical tenants in our marketing. If you're not stirring an emotion, you're forgettable because people are seeing material every single day, multiple times a day, multiple screens. So the only way to really break through is to make that emotional connection, um, but then also to make that values-based connection. And those, you can't have one without the, without the other in order to be um, relevant, essentially. But you know, that's easier said than done. So like what you're saying, I mean, to say, yes, you should make great advertising that hits people's core values and it's really emotional. Okay, that sounds good. But Bud has had a remarkable history. I, I can't even think offhand of any real big problems you've had. And I'm not going to ask you to tell me what they were. You may have, but you do tend to hit home runs on your advertising and you do classic advertising, Super Bowl advertising in the past, or even some of your newer campaigns are still kind of mass media advertising of the old world. Um, How do you, how do you do that? How do you hit home runs on that advertising? Oh yeah. You know, they're, they're, I wish that it was all science and we could just codify. We try and codify as much as possible. There's a very clear develop, creative development process. Obviously, we need to make sure that um, we have a, a thing called a brief, which gives a very clear business need as well as an emotional need, what we want our consumer to feel after they're um, sort of exposed to the creative. But the ultimate piece is in the magic between the brief and the execution. And that's all the players at the table, whether it be the creative agency, myself, the people on my team, really like pushing every single aspect of the creative, every single second in that 60 second Super Bowl spot is tested before, during, after, then there's the art of, does this make me feel something? Um, So it's, it's a little bit of science, a lot of magic of creativity. Um, and I think the biggest thing there here is it's a, it's a mindset of never being satisfied. Um, if someone can poke a hole in the creative, we must address it. We must. And only then do you get something that really gives you, gives you a home run. So it's that never satisfied attitude. It's that dream big mindset. And I think 
the biggest piece, you know, I, I talked about connection in, uh, in two ways. There's a third, there's a third part of connection, which is like connecting with culture. It's, you have to make sure that the creative is actually leaning in on something that is culturally relevant at that moment in time. It has to hit a cultural nerve to actually like resonate. Otherwise it is just advertising. Um, so for us, the, the, the true test is if this spot was landed or was launched one day later than the day it's launched today, would it be irrelevant? And if the answer is yes, then we know we're in a good place. We kind of want it to be, it must, it must be that acutely tied to that moment in time for it to have that big impact. I'm Barbara Kahn, and this is Marketing Matters, and we're joined today by Monica Modi, who's the Vice President of Marketing at Budweiser, and she's been telling us historically about how Budweiser manages to create the wonderful advertising that they do that hits at people's stern values or deep, deep values, but is also very, very emotional. So it's an art and a science um, behind the amazing branding and marketing campaigns of Budweiser. But let's now take it more to some of your recent campaigns. And maybe before you even get to some of your recent campaigns, a little bit about what, again, just to validate some of the things I teach in my classes now that I have the opportunity. So we talked about brands as being based on deep values, really connecting with your customers, the importance of emotions. But now what we're seeing in a lot of branding campaigns, and I think this does relate to some of your newest stuff, is that brands have to have a social conscience. Like you were saying, they have to be very relevant. There's a lot of issues, particularly that Gen Z is interested in, sustainability, dealing with some of the political issues, some of the issues of coming out of COVID, whether or not to get vaccinated. All of these are very important issues for our country, for, for your customers, but not necessarily issues that a beer should make a statement about. Um, so how do you parse through all of that? Yeah, I mean, the way I look at Budweiser is in a unique position and there's not many brands like it where, um, you know, it's America in a can is the way we, we look at it. So it's so ingrained in American DNA. Uh, when you look at old movies, you're seeing some of the oldest stars holding a Budweiser. So we are America uh, from a sort of branding standpoint, right? Um, and on top of that, we've reached such a scale and stood the test of time since 1876 that we're more than just the beer. We are very much at the epicenter of American culture. And so as a result of that, with that scale and the fact that we are connected to America, there's a huge responsibility for us to opine and take action when there is something big uh, bubbling or you know, uh, flourishing in the US, whether it's something to celebrate or something to share our point of view. Because in the end, when you look at the base of Budweiser, which is massive, we represent every type of American that's out there. So any way we can help, we must. It's our responsibility. So that comes in, in the shape of many different things like social responsibility, uh, whether it's like irresponsible drinking. Um, in this last year and a half, we took a lot of action to help with COVID relief. Um, so that's, that's really become... And, and it always has been, but more so in the last year and a half, a heightened portion and part of our marketing efforts because um, we were just basically in a time where advertising didn't feel right. 
in the last year and a half. It felt very much like a time where everybody needed to use the power of their skill to help the issue at hand. And so that's, that's really where we, we leveraged our skill, we leveraged our resources, we leveraged our partnerships to do whatever we could to help and influence people to get us through this pandemic. And we're very proud to be one of the first brands to, to be a key contributor in, in the COVID relief space. So you took on a new campaign, re- Reunited with Buds, which has giveaways with proof of vaccination. Yeah. Um, and how'd you come to that decision? Because I would imagine some of your customers, given how broad you are and the kind of people who might drink beer one side or another, you may have customers who are anti-vaxxers. Um, so you're taking a position that could potentially polarize. How did you come to all of that? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that we've we've learned and we've acknowledged is it, as a brand, you you no longer can just sit in the middle. You sort of need to have, a, and if you have a point of view, you can't just keep it to yourself. Uh, people and consumers are expecting brands, especially mainstream large brands to be vocal. So for us, you know, a year and a half ago, we, we made the stance to say, we are here to help with COVID relief. And then, you know, this at Super Bowl, we made this stance to show that we believe in vaccine education, distribution, so that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and one day enjoy nice cold beer the way we used to. So with you reunited with Buds, one of the other things that we have to think about is, you know, alcohol play, we need to play a role as a leading alcohol brand to remind people to return safely. So for us, that's why, you know, showing that you're vaccinated was absolutely sort of the, the key ah, to getting that, that, that first safe beer. Because uh, we want to make sure that, again, we're acting like taking that leadership position to say, don't just rush back to, don't just rush back to summer, um, rush back to summer safely. And that's, that's the role that we want to play. And of course, showing the Clydesdales and the puppies, um, it's, well, we, we, we had an iteration also that had the puppies early, but like, it just, it, it sort of brings everyone together, reminds them of the good times and the connection again. Yeah. It's the connection. So did you, you said you tested everything and you test every minute of the Super Bowl campaigns and stuff. So when you're doing this political, I mean, it shouldn't have to be political in my opinion, but it seems like it has gotten political. Um, and you do know that there may be people who agree with you or don't agree with you on this. Do you do testing on that or do you try to make a message that, you know, like a segmented message, like you said at the beginning of, the, of our conversation for vac- people who are pro and anti-vaccination so that Bud can be comfortable in both spots? Or how do you handle all of that? Yeah, so we, we, uh, we never want to isolate our consumer. We never want to make people feel left out, but we also don't want to fall in this space of being vanilla and just being like, we hope everybody is happy. That's just, if you're going to ever have a breakthrough creative and make a connection, you can't just be, meh. you have to have a, have a point of view and you have to cut through. So with that, you know, we, we do test and we test with our base to see, is this polarizing in the, in the sense that it's going to make people think t- differently about us in, in a disproportionate way of like, what's Budweiser doing this? So the first thing we look for is, does this feel in line with Budweiser? Does this seem like something Budweiser would do or is it foreign? If it feels foreign, then we go back to the drawing board. If it's in line, then we go to the next step, which is, and how does this 
how does this perform with a younger drinker, a loyal drinker, a rejecter of Budweiser? So we look at all the bases and we have been pleasantly surprised to see that the vaccine education distribution uh, platform has done very well. With oh, that's interesting. Very well. Because the message at the end of the day is return safely. We remember the good old days, but return safely. And if you choose to get a vaccine, free beer on us. Ah, that, that's very interesting. So, yeah. and, and at the same time you're doing that, like you said, you're bringing back the Clydesdales the dog, and the dog, you're bringing back some of the fun um, commercials, some of the, but you did, you did sit out the Super Bowl this year, right? Yes. So was that, so how did you make that decision? Oh, wow. That was, that was such a bold, scary decision that we're so happy we ended up doing in hindsight. So we had a whole other spot which I'm actually very excited about. I hope we launch it next, next year. Um, but once, um, you know, we lived in, in two month increments last year, like every two months we'd be like, okay, what's the new news on COVID? Okay. You know, we'd have to pivot our plans because, um, every, the, the world was learning, you know, day by day on what the realities of, of, the external world were going to be. So once we learned that the vaccine was approved by the FDA, we just were like, okay, this is, this is relevant. And this was, I think around October, November, this is very relevant and this matters. And we very quickly learned from the ad council that there was a significant amount of misinformation on the vaccine. There, there was like, I think 20% of um, people in America who were pro vaccine I think there was 30% that were rejectors and there was a 50% that just were hesitant because they just didn't know what to believe. So that's where we thought, okay, this is, this is a big thing. And this isn't something that the government can just do by themselves or the ad council can just do by themselves. What's the biggest marketing stage out there? It's Super Bowl. And it's the one time in the year where people are like waiting for the Budweiser ad. I don't think people are waiting for a Budweiser ad on like a random day in, Fe- in no, sorry, February is when Super Bowl is. Like people aren't waiting for the Budweiser ad on April 12th. No one's doing that. Although I hope our marketing is strong enough that people are waiting for the next thing. But no, um, but Super Bowl is the time where we have the, the world looking at us. Absolutely. So we knew this was a powerful moment for us to show how much we were in support of vaccine education and actually using the, the the large investment that goes behind Super Bowl to actually reallocate those funds to raise awareness on where you get educated on the facts of vaccine. So it was this, it was this dual approach where we were going to just sort of redirect the attention, but redirect it on the right message that showed our point of view. Um, so that if, if in those 50% of people that aren't clear on on whether or not they want to take the vaccine or not but they're a bud lover they at least know that budweiser is telling them go get educated on it go get some details don't always rely on twitter or cnn or fox news like here's the official source just go that's that's kind of amazing don't listen to the media listen to your beer company for the real news you know that's so given that's part of your goal and i'm i'm happy to hear that i think that's a great position do you also track whether or not you change people's opinions about i mean absolutely and we were so pleased to see i I don't have the exact stat on me right now i think it was like upwards of 20 to 30 percent of people that were hesitant were more were 
either more likely or strongly more likely to go get the vaccine. So that was just, you know, we, we went into it again, like from our heart, that was a little bit of the magic side of things. Almost at the time that we decided to pivot and sit out of Super Bowl, we didn't even have time to test if this was something that would have like significant impact, but we just knew in our gut it was the right thing to do. We're operating from our values first. So it was nice once we put a learning plan in place to see that and we're like, oh, this is amazing. And as a result of that, it's really helped the ad council to hopefully use our business case to get, you know, in the, in these next few months, more and more brands to use their power of their scale to hopefully create a movement and a chain reaction of everybody sort of showing, you know, that they are pro vaccine education and essentially for people to get. That's actually really, I mean, shocking in some sense, you know, when you think about it, I mean, it's really wonderful that you recognize that your brand has that power and that you want to do the right thing. Those are two things. I'm glad they're in the right place, but it's kind of surprising. There's so many scientists trying to think about what, or psychologists, how to convince people to get a vaccination and something like that. And for it to be the beer, you know, that's pretty interesting kind of yeah. statement. It's sort of like influencer marketing. It's like sometimes you don't want your parent to tell you to eat your vegetables, but if your best friend is like, I love kale, then you're like, yeah, let's go kale. I'm obsessed with kale. So it's kind of like that, you know, it's like sometimes you just need something that you trust that maybe you wouldn't expect to be an advocate for something that, that the fact that they would go out on a limb to say they are pro something is, is, is influencer marketing at its, at its best, you know? So brands are in, brands can be influencers for other brands um, just as much as we need influencers for our brands, you know? Yeah, that's really amazing. Well, that's a fantastic kind of campaign. Congratulations on it. And Monica, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can listeners go to keep up with you and everything Budweiser's doing and all the new campaigns? Yeah, I mean, you can you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Monica Modi, M-O-D-Y. Um, and then if you want to check out Budweiser campaigns, uh, we've got at Budweiser USA. So on Twitter, Instagram, so there's there's global, which is at Budweiser. But if you want to see the activity in the U.S., it's Budweiser USA. Well, thank you very much. We'd like to thank audio engineer Dan Simpkins and Chris Tooks and our producer, Dana Cash. You can follow us on our new Twitter, which is at SXM Marketing or follow Business Radio at SXM Business for information about all our programming. Thank you all for listening to today. Till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.